Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. And I am so glad that you are here on this holiday weekend as we continue in our summer sermon series entitled First Love, where we have been leaning in to the New Testament letter called what we call in our Bibles, the book of Ephesians. And here's why this series is so important for us during the summer season. The church at Ephesus, man, they had an incredible start. I mean, against all odds, this church, they experienced unity in a way that was absolutely unheard of in that time. And they were such a portrait because of that unity of God's love that they absolutely turned their culture upside down with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, their church became a desired destination for those that were not part of their church. They were doing so well. But we also know that about 30 years after the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus addressed this church through the Apostle John. And here's why. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Jesus said this to the church at Ephesus. He says, yet I have this against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You have left your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the thing you did at first. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, he's saying, you left, you got distracted from your first love. I mean, even though he commends them earlier in this statement, he commends them for their right behavior and their right beliefs. He's saying, you got distracted from what matters the most. You left your first love. And leaving their first love, what it did, it led to division. It led, it, it led to disunity. It led to their undoing. And we don't want to be that church, do we? So how do we continue to be a church that is leading people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that is demonstrating Jesus' love to each other in our community in profound ways, 20, 30, maybe even 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries? Well, to answer that, I want you to dig a little deep, and I want you to think with me about something. How many of you are familiar with something called the Pareto Principle? Now, if you're not familiar with the Pareto Principle, it's mostly used as a business model to prioritize effects and, and resources to minimize effort and to maximize outcomes. In fact, some of you might have heard it as the 80-20 rule or the 80-20 Principle. Well, the 80-20 rule or the 80-20 principle says this, that 80% of outcomes come from 20% of causes. Now, this principle has been applied to just about everything that you can imagine. It has been widely written about by people who are business thought leaders. They say this, they say 80% of your productivity comes from about 20% of your effort or about 80% of your profits come from about 20% of your products or your customers. Or they'll even say this, 80% of your problems come from about 20% of your customers in the business world. You, some of you are already shaking your head on that. In fact, I heard John Maxwell say years ago at a leadership conference, he says, if you don't believe this 80-20 principle is true, go to a family reunion or a buffet. 80% of the people eat 20% of the food, while 20% of the people eat 80% of the food, right? Now, just to kind of little share a little bit insider information. Over the 30 years that I have pastored this church, over 80% of the funds for our church have come from 20% or less of the people. 
The same thing has been true about serving on our dream team, on our volunteer teams. About 20% of those attending carry about 80% of the serving opportunities. So conventional wisdom based upon the Pareto principle would say, this is just the way it is. So concentrate on the 20%. Conventional wisdom says you'd be wasting your breath trying to convince the other 80% to engage. It won't happen because the Pareto principle says it won't happen and it's very evident in other business arenas, which the church is not a business, it's an organism. But part of me, I understand that, from past experiencing having owned a hardware and building supply for 14 years and built spec homes and things of that. But as a pastor, I have never believed that's what God called the church to be. See, if we understand and we believe, and we do, that the church is a movement of people driven by the command of Jesus to love everybody as he loved us, if we're trying to be a church that reaches, equips, and sends, a church that endures, a church that will be a vibrant witness for Jesus 30 years from now, maybe 100 years from now, if the Lord tarries, I have always believed that as followers of Jesus, we should be working hard to engage the other 80%. In fact, whenever you read the New Testament, here's why I believe that. And you read these letters to the early church. There isn't the assumption that the majority of people would be disengaged while a majority of people will carry the weight of the mission. In fact, while the Pareto principle is a general life principle, it isn't a follower of Jesus or a church principle. It's a principle that you can use to kind of measure outcomes in your life, in your business world, but it's not a principle that the Apostle Paul and others who wrote those letters and who fought, were followers of Jesus in the New Testament believed. So as followers of Jesus, as a church, we can't settle for the Pareto principle. No, the standard for engagement and involvement in the body of Christ is the Apostle Paul principle. And we're gonna unpack that today, what that principle is. In fact, his instruction in his prayer for the church in Ephesus, it doesn't allow us to be okay if we operate as a church from the 80-20 principle. So today what we're going to do is we're going to pick up where Matt left off last week, where Matt began to unpack God's plan for the church. Because what we're going to discover is God's plan, or what we discovered last week, is God's plan for the church, or God's plan for the world is fulfilled through his church. But don't miss this, because this is what we're going to discover today, and that is this. Your purpose is found in the church. Don't miss this, because many of us are going, I wonder what my purpose is. I wonder what my purpose is. And we try to find it disconnected from the body of Christ. So don't miss that. God's plan, and this is what Matt looked at last week, God's plan is fulfilled through his church, but what we're going to discover today is our purpose is found in his church. So let me just show you how the Apostle Paul says this works. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. So the Apostle Paul, he starts this section with these words. Notice what he says. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. So the Apostle Paul says, the church has been gifted gifts by Christ himself. Don't miss that. Christ himself gave gifts to the church. Now, there are five different spiritual gifts that are listed here, but please understand these five different gifts are not an exhaustive list 
of spiritual gifts. You can find other lists of gifts in, in, the, in the letter to the Corinthians. You can find it in, in the letter to the Romans. But these gifts are the ones that he mentions here, and they are gifts that some have referred to as the spiritual gifts necessary to start, establish, build, equip, and sustain a church. So these spiritual gifts that are listed here that Christ gave, the Apostle Paul is saying, these are some of the more visible spiritual gifts. Understand, they're not the only gifts. And make sure you understand this. Just because they're visible doesn't even make these the most important gifts. All gifts are equally important. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in one of his other listings of gifts, he says that the gifts that are not, as, not visible are sometimes even more important. I mean, think about your heart. You don't see your heart as your, in your body, but you could take off your hand and live, but you can't live without your heart, right? So don't get mistaken when you look at this list and go, oh, like these are the most important. No, they're not the most important. All gifts are equally important. But these five gifts, they do have a specific responsibility. I want you to notice the responsibility in verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift that God gave you. That means you're very important to the body of Christ. I don't want you to miss this. Our physical bodies are made up of a lot of different and unique parts, right? Matter of fact, no two parts of your body are just alike. Here's what you think about. All of the different parts of your body, they were designed to function together and form one body, right? And here's what we know. A body that never, our body never reaches its maximum maturity or potential or effectiveness if certain parts are missing or certain parts do not function. Well, just like that's true for our physical body, the Apostle Paul says the same thing is true for the local church. Every church is made up of a bunch of unique parts, individual people. But we are all designed, while we're all designed individually, we're designed to function together to accomplish, accomplish this common purpose. That means if you're one of our churches today, you're part of this church and you're not part of it by accident. God put you here because God needs you to help people better experience Jesus in their life, to see what Jesus is like. And what this means is, if you're not fully engaged, if you don't do your part, the part that you have been spiritually gifted by Jesus to do, People won't see Jesus clearly through our body as they should because our body, our church will be limited because all parts are not doing their part. And now that's a really big deal when you think about it. In fact, let me summarize it this way. The body needs everybody to function as a body, right? The body needs everybody to function as a body. The body needs everybody to do his work to build each other up, as the Apostle Paul said. And that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. The church needs everyone to accomplish God's purpose that he has for us and place us here to do. 
That's why we said earlier that the standard for engagement and involvement in the body of Christ is the Apostle Paul principle, not the Pareto principle. But here's what I know is happening. Not only do most churches function by the Pareto principle that 20% of the people are carrying 80% of the load. Here's the reality. What I know is a lot of the people who are gifted with equipping gifts, people who are essential to the establishment and the building up of the church. And the thing that you need to understand is this, that these gifts, being the, the apostle gift, the prophet gift, the pastor, the teacher, those gifts, what happens is these gifts that are spiritually given to the church that are essential for the establishment and the building up of the church, we don't see people leaning into that like we did 20, 30 years ago when I first started pastoring the church. And it's almost like people don't want the accountability and the responsibility of actually stepping up to the calling of equipping and building of the church. Because the thing you got to understand about these gifts, they're not just staff roles. There are many of you at our churches that have these gifts. In fact, I think it's more like what my friend Jamie Stewart said. He said, what if the decline of the church in the U.S. isn't because people have given up on Christianity? What if it was because people who have been gifted by Christ to build up the church and to call people to a relationship with him are not living out or just haven't responded to their gifting and their calling? Listen, the ripple effect of living out the Preto principle in the church instead of the Apostle Paul principle, it is devastating to the mission and the vision of any church, even our church. See, according to the Apostle Paul, when pastors and teachers, and make sure you understand that the gift of pastor and teachers, I said, is not just a church staff member gifting. When people who are in our churches gifted with equipping gifts, when they lean in and they equip people to do the work of his ministry, the results are like something that most of us have never seen before. In fact, notice what this looks like in verses 13 through 15. Here's how the Apostle Paul says it. He says, this will continue, this equipping process, it will continue until we all, I want you to notice how many times he says we, not until I, but until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge, and remember we said a couple weeks ago, knowledge is the idea of intimacy with God. It's not intellectual, but it's, it's unity in our faith and a relationship and intimacy with the Son of God that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Don't miss this. He says, this will continue until we are measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. When we look around the church, because we're all imperfect, we know we have a long way to go before we get there. We have a long way to go. I mean, it's not even close to that. But he says, you don't give up that ideal of pursuing that. But also notice he says, the standard is who? It's Christ. I'm not the standard setter. Christ is the standard. So when I compare where I am at to where Jesus is at, I don't have a lot of room to complain about where you're at. 
And when I hear people walk away from the church because other people aren't living up to their standard, I always want to go, no, the standard is not you. The standard is Jesus. So he says, that's the ideal that we all should pursue. And he says, when we do that, whenever we make that our standard that we're pursuing, even though we go, oh man, the gap between that is so great, but I'm not walking away from the church, but I'm gonna pursue that standard. Notice what he says next in verse 14. Then when that becomes our standard, then when that becomes our pursuit, that kind of unity, then we, we, all of us, As a church, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, what will happen is we, all of us, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Now, the Apostle Paul says that when we all are doing our part in the body of Christ, we're going to continue to be built into a church that is becoming more and more unified and more and more mature. A church, a people, we're, we're growing in every way to notice this, to be more and more like Christ. So so the goal of the church isn't just to get everybody to believe in Jesus and then everything's good just because I believe in Jesus and I'm all good. No, no, no. The goal of the church is also, as the Apostle Paul says, it's also to help everyone grow in every way to be more and more like Christ. So your faith in Christ is not an event. According to the Apostle Paul, it's a process of following, growing, conforming, and surrendering to become more and more like Christ. And what the Apostle Paul is saying in this and growing in every way to be more and more like Christ is that spiritual maturity, it acts and reacts in every situation and every circumstance like Jesus would. Maturity is measured in becoming more and more like Christ in all of my actions and all of my reactions. Now, there's something else you need to understand about spiritual maturity, and and we see this in the next verse, verse 16. He says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And, And some of us look around the rooms this morning and we go, man, how's God gonna do this? I mean, look how different we are. I mean, we're all unique, we're... Now he goes, he makes the whole body fit together perfect. I don't know how this miracle of unity is going to happen. But he says, as we pursue that kind of unity, as we make Christ, that Trinitarian unity, our standard, he says, when that happens, he makes the body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, let me just tell you something, church. This is one of the most important verses you can understand if you understand the meaning and the impact and the importance of the church. The Apostle Paul is saying, That in order for followers of Jesus to grow and mature, 
It requires the engagement of other people in our lives. He's telling us, listen, spiritual maturity, it doesn't happen in isolation. There are moments when you need silence and you need solitude. You need to sit at Jesus' feet individually. But spiritual maturity also means that you have to be engaged with the body of Christ, the church. So he goes, if you want to spiritually mature, you, you want to be healthy and growing and full of love, he's going, you got to make sure you understand this is not optional. But we have convinced ourselves because of our hyper-individualistic approach to Christianity that we can grow and mature on our own. And we'll even tell people, oh, I, I can be a better Christian when I'm not a part of a church body. <laughs> I'm going to show you more next week why that's not true. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, the only way to grow and mature is to be part of the body of Christ, engaging with it. Now, here's what I know. Some of you have disengaged from the body, the church, because the body hurt you. You were part of the body, and the body hurt you. Now, believe it or not, as a pastor of 30 years, and I'm trying not to get emotional when I say this, um, I understand a little bit about church hurt. The, the harassment, the the intentional undermining, the um, behind-the-scenes conversations, the stab, me, the church, the hurt, the harm that my family and I have experienced over 30 years. Some of the things that have happened to my kids, my wife. I mean... To be a pastor who's trying to mentor and develop people, and you have at times in the past we had staff members who were going behind, they're getting a paycheck from the church, and then they're talking bad and stabbing you in the back instead of coming and talking to you about it. If I told you some of the stories, I've always told my wife, if I start going senile, put me in a padded soundproof room. Because <laughs> if I started telling some of the stories that have happened, in my life, in my family's life over the 30 years, you would go, why in the world are you still a pastor? But let me answer that by giving you three or four things that I've learned through this process. First of all, I love Jesus. And I believe in his plan. And his plan is to use an imperfect body to reach and change the world through his church. I still believe with all of my heart what Jesus said, that the local church is the only hope of the world. And you know why I believe the local church is the only hope of the world? Because the local church not only offers help, there's a lot of nonprofits and, and parachurch organizations out there that offer help, but you know what the church offers? It offers the message of eternal hope. So I still believe in God's plan for redeeming the world through the local church. I believe the church is the only hope of the world. There is no plan B. 
The second reason I love the church, and I love our church, is what I learned through all that pain. See, God uses that pain to draw me closer to him and to teach me to love others as he loves me, as he loves us. I learned the evidence of following Jesus is not loving Jesus. I learned that it's being so full of Jesus' love that I can love Judas, that I can wash Judas's feet. Not a year from now, not two years from now, not 15 years from now. I mean, Jesus knew that Judas had betrayed him and he knelt and he washed his feet. And I keep a carving from Israel um, on my nightstand of Jesus washing Judas's feet to remind me every morning when I get up and every night when I go to bed, I'm gonna experience Judas today. But Jesus, help me be so full of your love that I can wash their feet in that moment. So you probably have learned. You can't say you love Jesus any more than you like the person that you like the least. The third thing that I've learned in this is that even though the body is not healthy enough at times or mature enough at times to keep me from getting hurt, that's also the tool that God has used to heal me. I mean, think about it this way. If you've ever broken a bone in your body, let's just say that I broke my leg and, and while my foot caused my body to trip and I broke my leg, I'm gonna need the rest of my body, even though the rest of my body was not strong enough in the moment to keep me from breaking my leg. I'm gonna need my arms and I'm gonna need the rest of my body to heal. Or let's say you got some kind of really bad disease and because you had a weak part in your body, but you're gonna need that same body that was weak in a certain area to help you heal. Or another way to think about it, like if your thumb were cut off from your body, it would not thrive on its own, it would shrivel up and die. That's why no one ever quits the church and finds out that their faith and maturity in Jesus just grows exponentially. It's why they change their theology about the church. And most of the time they even change their theology about God. And I'm not saying you stay in toxic relationships. That's a whole other sermon. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the same body that was too immature or too weak to keep us from getting hurt is oftentimes the very thing that God teaches us and uses us to heal us and teaches us to love like he loves See, the way we learn love is not by loving lovely people. Jesus even said, what good is it you if you scratch somebody else's back, they're scratching yours. It's, 
It's what you do for Judas. So if you're here today um, and you were hurt by the body, I, I am so sorry. I, I know the pain of that. But I would challenge you, don't walk away from the church. Lean into Jesus. Because oftentimes that pain is the sandpaper that God uses and the fire that God uses to refine our soul and smooth off our rough edges. Listen, if each of us is part of the body of Christ, to experience maturity and growth, the Apostle Paul says, it requires that we engage with each other. Each one of us, we got a unique part to do. And each part helps the other parts grow. Even the parts that frustrate you so bad, God uses them to help you grow. And when every person does its own part and, and it's healthy and growing, what does he say? The evidence of a healthy and growing church is, it is what? Full of love. So here's the thing. One of the keys to a healthy, growing church by the Apostle Paul's statement is engagement by everyone. And what that means is that when it comes to the health and maturity of a church, the collective maturity of the church is affected by each one of our individual's engagements. So you could even say it this way. If my church was as healthy as me, how healthy would my church be? If the vitality of RCC was contingent upon you and how vital and vibrant our church is, if it was contingent on you, how vibrant, how vital would it be? I, I know it makes us all squirm just a little. So how healthy are you spiritually? And part of that is determined by how well you are connected to the rest of the body of Christ. So what I'm gonna do to close out our time everybody gets something to write on, is I'm going to give you a spiritual health assessment real quickly. And it's based upon Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Church. But remember he wrote that in the late 90s and gave us the five purposes of the church. And then later he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven What? Life. And you know what's really interesting? You look at the pur five purposes of the church and the five purposes of your life, they're what? One and the same. And that shouldn't surprise us because we are the what? Church. So based upon those five purposes, I'm going to give you an assessment to see how healthy our church would be if it was as healthy as you and me. In fact, years ago, I heard Rick Warren make this statement. He says, and, and after 30 years of pastoring, I, I, I know it to be true. He says this, a great commitment to the great commandment, the great commission will grow a great what? Church. So we're going to help you see how healthy you are in living this out. So these assessment questions are based on these five purposes. So let me give you the first question related to the first purpose, and that is worship. The first purpose that you were created for is worship. You were planned for God's pleasure. And the question is this, how I live my life shows that God is my highest priority. He is my first love. Now, on a scale of one to five, rate yourself. Don't look at anybody else. This is not to compare yourself. 
So the question would be, have you committed yourself to following Jesus? And is the overarching principle that Jesus is number one, is that how you organize your life? Or is it, well, my family and my career or my kids or my grandkids or, you know, this or that. And then if I have time, I work time in for Jesus and the body of Christ. Would people look at your life and your lifestyle and say that Jesus is your first love? And the answer to that is pretty obvious. So on a scale of one to five, how true is this of you? The next question is the second purpose, and it's under the category of fellowship. You were formed for God's family. And the question I want to ask here is, is not do you go to church? Because you can be in a church and not be in fellowship. Fellowship is about relational engagement with others who are trying to follow Jesus. So the question here is this. I gather regularly with a group of people from my church for connection, not, not just a social time, but accountability. In other words, I have an Aaron and her. If you don't know that story, Aaron and her was Moses' brother and another guy who held up his arms whenever Israel was fighting a battle and his arms would get tired, they'd hold him up. Do you have people that are holding you spiritually accountable, holding your arms up when you get weak? They know you so well that you're willing to share those deep things of your life on a scale of one to five. How true is this of you? Like, are you leading a small group? Are you in a small group? Not a social group, but a true discipleship group where you are weekly being in a mentoring relationship with other followers of Christ or maybe one-on-one coaching in a mentoring relationship. Again, the answer to that is going to be pretty obvious. So on a scale of one to five, how true is that of you? The next question is under the category, our third purpose, and that's discipleship. You are created to become like Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to today and to consider today. So here's the question. I consistently seek ways to grow my connection with Jesus. And and we didn't have enough room on this thing. And you can add the last part of this. I, I consistently seek ways to grow my connection with Jesus in order to equip others. Because see, we've become so hyper individualistic in the church that we seek time to be with Jesus in order to grow me. And Jesus goes, no, no, I want you to love others as I have what loved you. So on a one scale of one to five, how true is this of you? Now, this could include the first part of your day, the first part of your pay. This could include scheduled and consistent times of personal worship, Bible reading and prayer and journaling. But how intentional and consistent are you about spending time in God's presence for the purpose of connecting, connecting with him, being shaped by him, being filled with his love so you can love Judas the way Jesus loved Judas and so you can equip them, build up the body of Christ. On a scale of one to five, how true is that for you? The next question is under the purpose of ministry because you were shaped for serving God. And the question here is, I regularly use my time and abilities. Regularly means it's a habit. It's on your schedule. It's on your schedule. You regularly schedule this in. You can look at every week and you have it on your schedule. I regularly use my time and abilities to have an impact on God's kingdom. I mean, the Apostle Paul said in verse 16, Jesus makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. And if we use our talents, as we use our abilities and our spiritual gifts to help other people, 
We do that to help them grow in the whole body. He says, it becomes healthy and growing. And don't miss the last part. And what? Full of love. So do you regularly, like do you have it scheduled weekly to use your time and abilities to have an impact on God's kingdom? Not, not randomly, but regularly. It's scheduled. How true is that for you? The last one is evangelism. You were made for a mission. And the question here is, I regularly, meaning this is, this is part of my routine. I, 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 I plan for this. Look for opportunities to talk about my faith in Jesus and point others to him. I mean, that, that could be regularly investing, inviting in peoples we talk about around here all the time. It could be intentionally involved in different neighborhood groups so that you're socializing with people to build a relationship so you can invest with them. Or maybe it's at work, talking with people what you learned at church or in your small group or what God is speaking to you in your life. Like you were made for evangelism. How would you rate yourself on a scale of one to five? Here's what I want everybody to do at all of our churches. I want you to add up your scores. And if you had 25 on here, you need to take a course in self-awareness. Because <laughs> that would be a perfect score. And here's what I know. All of us have a lot of groom to grow in this because the standard is Jesus. Trinitarian unity is the standard. But you begin to ask God, how can you begin to live out your faith in and through the body of Christ? And as I said, we all have some room to grow in, in building up the body of Christ, right? Now, here's what I know. The Pareto principle would say that only 20% of you are going to take this seriously. But I want you to imagine if each one of you at all of our churches today took the step to be mature and engage. And the way you take the step to be mature is by engaging in your faith through the body of Christ. You, you deal with that church hurt. And you lean into Jesus and you say, Jesus, I need healing here. And I don't know who I can trust anymore. But I know I can trust you, Jesus. And I want to be so filled with your love that I'm overflowing your love. And I can love not you, just you, Jesus, but I can love Judas. And here's the thing that's amazing. It's amazing what happens when we do this. In fact, getting to be part of this amazing thing called the church. And, and somehow we got to get past the idea that the church should be perfect. Because it's never going to be because you're part of it. I'm part of it. And we're all imperfect. It's why we've been praying for each other, our church. We've been praying this prayer. It's why when you came in today, there was this card on your seat that we've been adding a part of the prayer to. In fact, let me give you the next part of the prayer for this week. We start off by saying, I'm praying for you, our church. This is our prayer. God, we're praying for our church. We're not criticizing. We're, we're, we're not complaining. We're just praying. And we're praying for our church to know God's love for you and to love each other well so that you understand God's plan for us all. And now we're adding today's part, which is to equip each other because we all have a part in that so I want you to think about what would happen in our communities what would happen in our church if everybody engaged in the body of Christ and did their part to equip each other listen God has used this church in amazing ways with 20% engaging it could absolutely be incredible if all of us engaged 
Not only could it be incredible, but it's God's design. Listen, you will never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you by you serving in the body of Christ. Now, here's the thing. One of the ways you make sure you're doing this is, you're like, how do I do this? Just go to Engage, July the 9th, next Sunday. Um, go to Engage. And week one, two, and three, and we really lay out how you can be engaged in the whole process. And week four, then we help you do the on-ramp. Um, in fact, it happens to all of our churches next Sunday. It's a series of four conversations, help you understand how to be a vital part of the mission, how to mature in your faith, and then how to understand that you were shaped for ministry and live out your purpose. In fact, if you've got any questions, stop by the gallery, and our team there will give you the details. Let me pray for us, and I'll give you one more thing. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible opportunity today just to understand not only is your plan to redeem the world through this imperfect thing that you call your body the church and God I just want to thank you for that kind of incredible love God that you would redeem us and then use us for the most remarkable mission, the thing that's the dearest to your heart. That in living out that mission, we learn, we learn what it means to follow you and to love like you loved. As we work together, each individually doing our part, we become a body. So God help us today. For whatever excuse, whatever reason we've used to disengage from the body, Help us to understand that every part of the body matters. And so today, I just pray that you help us to lean in to you and say, Jesus, today I'm choosing to work through all the pain, all the hurt, all the excuses that I've used to disengage and not do my part in order to live out your plan to equip the body so we're growing and becoming healthy and full of love. In Jesus' name, I want to thank you for what you're going to do in our lives, the life of our church, and in our communities as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things that we're doing is we're praying for each other. Not just the prayer that we're praying corporately, but we're praying for each other individually. And the way we're doing that is on your seat, every week, we're putting a blank card. I want you to write a prayer request on there. Take this thing and just kind of fold it into like a little circle and go to the prayer wall on your campus. Stick that in that prayer wall and then take a prayer request and be praying. If you're comfortable putting your name, put your name on it. If you want to put your initials, put your initials. If you want another name on it, do that, or if you don't want to put a name, but somebody will be praying for you. It's to remind us that God has called us to love each other well and to expand our view of our church in the process. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.